Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. I'm killing you, Smalls. There's no crying in baseball. I on the ball, okay? One, two, three, strike. That guy was a bro. <laughs> and his name is Dan Ugly. Let's go Bucks. Uh, you're calling me weird. God bless America. God bless the queen. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to the second full episode of The Top Step. I'm Paul Frischner. Steve is with me over Zoom. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to it right now. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a review if you wouldn't mind. only takes a second, and hopefully you like it. You can drop us five stars. If you don't like it, tell us why, but be nice about it at least. We (laughs) do get our feelings hurt sometimes. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Paul Frischner. You can follow Steve on Twitter at smiller underscore 96. Right, Steve? Indeed. All right. Well, Steve, uh, on the first episode, we dove into my career in uh, on-air media and where it's taken me through high school and college and now one year professionally, although that's been a little bit cut short with the coronavirus pandemic and where I should be right now versus where I actually am, should be in uh, Maryland doing the Bowie Bay Sox. Instead, I'm still here home in Cincinnati. But for you, your uh, career in print media has taken you to some interesting places from where you were in high school to where you then went to college at the University of Dayton and some of the experiences you had both covering the Flyers and the Nationals and the Major League Baseball scale. It was a, a big deal for you a couple of times to get into the press box. We dive into that and more on today's episode of The Top Step. Steve, how are you? I'm doing well, Paul. And uh, hearing you talk about your career in broadcasting and my career in print media, it makes me think that if you have a face for radio, then I have a voice for print. And <laughs> that's where the two of us are so far. But um, yeah, like hey, we, said, ba- we balance each other out. You write the good articles and maybe I can bring a little hosting experience to this podcast. You know, you got to have a little yin and yang here on the show. <laughs> exactly. The, the yin and the yang on the top step. I like it. Yeah um but yeah like so, i said I'm- so let's go let's go ahead i don't mean to cut you off but let's let's get right into it here with your career and where you started with dayton and and even going so far back as maybe into high school with some of the things and the stories that you and i i think have some fun stories to talk about going back to high school before even we got to dayton yeah for sure i mean you and i had the privilege of going to a relatively new high school so some traditions were still getting started and um we were two of the first you know, student newspaper writers at our school. And we even tried to start up a little radio broadcasting um, going for, for the school sports, including basketball, football, and RIP to that endeavor. It was, it was a fun time though. That's how we got to be such good friends. I think was for, <laughs> for trying and failing yeah. at our first sports media venture. But uh, yeah, for me, it really took off once I got to the university of Dayton Writing has always been something that I've enjoyed, uh, particularly sports writing. Um, I enjoy compiling my thoughts and then piecing together a story um, like it's a, a visual puzzle almost and, and putting together quotes and, and you know, using my words to, uh, to express something in a unique way. And that's always been um, a, a fun hobby of mine. So I knew I wanted to write sports for uh, the Dayton student newspaper when I got there. Um, so at our like organization fair, I essentially just went right to the flyer news table and signed up and uh, I was writing pretty quickly. Luckily for me, and because I'm such a big baseball fan, I already had a little bit of a foot in the door because 
being from Virginia, I followed the Nationals. And at the time, the Nationals had Craig Stammen and Jerry Blevins, who were two former Dayton Flyers. Um, Jerry did not graduate UD. Craig did. However, he was drafted first and then had to go back a few years later. And uh, actually, I think while he was with the Nationals, he ended up going back to UD and graduating. But nevertheless, it was a big deal for the Dayton Athletics program to have two major league pitchers on active rosters. Um, and being a Nationals fan, I followed them, and, and people around Dayton knew that these guys played for the Nationals, and people in the Nationals organization knew these guys went to Dayton. So it was kind of a, a natural, like, you know, a little bit of a match there. Um, and since I was such a big baseball fan and wanted to write about baseball, my first story was about Stammen and Blevins. Because at the time in the fall of 2014, as you remember as a Nationals fan, uh, the Nats were in the middle of a pennant race, and they were going on to win the division for the second time in three years. Unfortunately, they did not advance in the playoffs uh, again. But uh, nevertheless, Stammen and Blevins being on the team, being part of uh, a pennant race in the National League, was exciting for Dayton fans. So my first story was about Stammen and Blevins. Now, that winter, uh, I guess I covered a little bit of uh, a little bit more Major League Baseball, not too much. We generally stuck to school sports, so I got into following women's basketball. And then in the spring, I covered uh, baseball and softball a little bit. But I hopped back onto the Major League Baseball beat, if you will, for the student newspaper in the spring when the Nationals came out with their promotional schedule for 2015. And promotions in Major League Baseball generally do not make the news. It's just something to get fans in the gate. Bobbleheads are just the classic example, um, although they're probably the high end of the classic example. People generally show out for bobbleheads. Other stuff, people give away like hats and sunglasses and t-shirts and just random things to try to you know incentivize people to come out to the ballpark. The Nationals had made headlines in August of 2014 when they promoted a Jason Worth garden gnome. And if you remember Jason Worth for the Nationals, he had a super shaggy beard, pretty long hair, um, a goatee, and in a way he resembled a garden gnome. So when the Nationals put this on their promotional schedule, it was just kind of, you know, another promotion. But throughout the summer of 2014, they really heavily promoted this Jason Worth garden gnome to try to hype it up. And people came out to the ballpark and um, Paul, you remember that day well. It was August 5th, 2014. Initially, you and I were both going to go to the game. I couldn't for some reason. But I got some texts and Snapchats from you at the gate waiting to get your garden gnome. And I'll let you kind of tell your story of that afternoon. Yeah, that was a very memorable afternoon looking back at that. Uh, it was fun. And it just happened almost, I don't want to say by coincidence, but it just happened because of the set of circumstances that led to it. Um, basically what happened was we knew that that game was going to be big. I knew you couldn't go. Um, you and I had planned on it, but like you said, some things came up that you couldn't go. And um, I had a ticket and I asked one of my other really good friends that we played uh, high school baseball with Francis. And he said, he'd go with me. So my dad works pretty close to the stadium and he took a late start cause he knew he was going to go to the game that night so he worked later that day, and instead of going in early, he just worked the same amount of hours, but, you know, do the classic, just going a little bit later. 
And so we went in with him um, and we just, Francis and I just walked around and killed time and went out for lunch and whatever. And then we looked at our watches around, I don't know, one thirty, two o'clock, maybe it was about one forty-five, two o'clock and the gates open at Nats park at five o'clock. And we said, well, why don't we just go over there and sit and wait for this garden home? Like if we're going to be here and we're going to be this early and we're just wasting time, why don't we go be first in line for this thing? And we knew it was going to be big, but I don't think we had any idea it was going to be as big as it was. Francis and I go over, we get in line and not like three minutes later did the second family or second people, uh, second group of people show up. And it was a mom with, I think like her two kids, they put a blanket down and started playing cards. So if we had showed up like five minutes later, none of this really would have happened. But we were there, we saw there was no line, walked over, got in line and sat there. And then the line grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And eventually, by the time it was getting close to when the gates were opening, for those of you that have been in Nationals Park and are familiar with the area, the way I remember it, and I posted pictures to Twitter, the line was like probably halfway or three quarters of the way down half street. It was almost as far as the eye could see. People just streaming off the metro to get in line. But while we were waiting in line, and this is the story that makes the day fun, um, I was posting the updates every few minutes on Twitter, like, hey, the line's getting a little longer. Hey, it's getting a little longer, a little longer. And one of the writers for the Washington Post, uh, uh, Scott Allen, found it. I don't know how he found it, but he found it. And he reached out to me and he said, hey, do you have a second to talk on the phone? And I thought, well, I have nothing but time because I'm sitting here uh-huh. killing time. <laughs> so I texted Scott back and I said, yeah, sure. Like, I'll talk whenever. We talked on the phone and he put an article up um, and said, these two clowns are sitting outside waiting at the Nats game for this garden home. And the promotion took off and went all over Major League Baseball. It was one of the best promotions of the summer, I think, um, in the calendar. And maybe I'm a little biased because I was part of it. But that season of promotions in Major League Baseball, I thought the garden home probably reigned supreme there in that category. And just with the way things went, uh, the garden gnome then eventually took off and the price of it, if you wanted to even buy one, uh, the price of it skyrocketed on eBay and, and it became like this valuable commodity. But the funniest part was that we were first in line and we got this article. And then Steve, a story that I hadn't told you before. I don't think I'd told you before. We got to the stadium of eventually when the gates opened Francis and I were sitting up in the two upper 200s. So not the nice 200s with the cushion seats and everything in the midsection. We were in the upper gallery level of the 200s. And up in that section, you can't even really see the right field corner. It's the one and only time I've ever sat up there. And I know you really hate sitting up there. Uh, but it's the one and only time I've ever sat up there. And we're climbing up to our seats, trompsing up there, step after step after step, almost all the way to the top. And we get up there and we're holding our gnomes and this lady that's sitting behind us looks at us and goes, weren't you the two guys in the Washington Post article that just got published? And I turned around, I looked at Francis, I go, are you kidding me? It's out already? And uh, so so we went back and read it and, and looked at it. We got a good kick out of it. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, so that was the day of the, the Jason Worth Garden Gnome and how it all went down and what's now turned into a pretty fun uh you know i would say a good friendly relationship with uh scott allen and a little more generally uh dan steinberg um which you guys listening will hear later we have those interviews which we did a couple years ago that we'll publish here in the next couple of weeks but 
Scott Allen, I would consider a pretty close uh, contact of mine and somebody that I still to this day will keep up with and, and talk to fairly often and a uh, great guy and an even funnier story that came out of it. Yeah, those guys are great over at the DC Sports Blog, and uh, we can't wait to share the content with them that we recorded a couple summers later. And there's there's more to the Scott Allen and, and Dane Steinberg interactions. If you enjoy this story here today, and there's much more to it uh, coming in a few minutes, uh, if you enjoy the story here today, you're definitely going to enjoy the stories with Scott and Dan um, in a couple episodes. So Paul gets his 15 minutes of fame on the Washington Post and you know sits up there in the right field corner in 200 uh, section, which I'll go ahead and plug here. If you are unfamiliar with Nationals Park, make sure to check out my Nationals Park seating chart review on topsteptalk.com because if you are buying tickets, especially off the second uh, secondhand market, you don't want to get stuck in the 230s sections because uh, for some reason they're numbered 230s, even though they're like on the same level as the 400s up there. Uh, well, frankly, so you, as we talk about it right now, I hope that people even have that problem here in the next few months. You know, that would be great if fans can be back in baseball stadiums in the coming months, but I'm thinking it'll be at least uh, until next spring. So uh, yeah, make sure you check that out before you head out to Nats Park the next time, or at least before you buy tickets. But that's not your only one. Top Step Talk, a great resource provided by Steve Miller for other <laughs> uh, seating charts for, and such. Other ballpark reviews, and hopefully I find the funds and the time in the near future to head out to more parks and do more reviews. But now back to our story in uh, August of 2014. So I'm following this from afar. I read Paul's story in the Washington Post, or Scott's story. And really, to be fair to Scott, the story was about the promotion because the ticket prices for that game were probably four times the average of Nationals games that summer just because of the Garden Gnome. And like Paul said, people were selling these on eBay pretty much immediately after getting them in the gates for triple digits. I mean, $100 would get you one on eBay. Um, so these just yeah, blew out and people uh, came out, packed the stadium. It was standing room only, probably the only sellout of the summer that, that year. And um, people, you know, made sure to get their garden gnomes. So uh, garden gnome wazoo, Paul and Francis get their garden gnomes, first one through the gates, great stuff. So the Nationals come out with their promotion schedule for the following season. It's it's the spring now of 2015. I'm back at uh, Dayton, a freshman. And um, other teams around the league had done or had announced garden gnome promotions for 2015 following suit of the Nationals, hoping to draw the crowds that the Nationals drew. I think there was a Jacob deGrom one. Uh, there was someone for the Dodgers. There were a couple around the league. The Nationals trying to keep pace with their, uh, I don't know, groundbreaking promotional schedule of the previous year, wanted to still kind of do something unique and do something that the rest of the league was not doing and not just let other people's garden gnomes uh, you know, follow in their wake and, and take their thunder. So the Nats announced uh, in this promotional schedule that on August 5th, 2015, exactly a year after the Jason Worth Garden Gnome, they are going to be giving out a Jason Worth Chia Pet, which if you are of the generation older than Paul and I, you remember probably from your childhood as these ceramic likenesses of cartoon characters and famous people and whatever, where uh, glue on chia seeds and then they grow leaves in the place of hair. So the Jason Worth Chia Pet was going to grow green sprouts where his hair and beard and goatee and whatnot are. 
so definitely a unique promotion in the way of Major League Baseball. Uh, something a little bit more than a bobblehead, even a little bit more than the garden gnome. It's a living creature. So I'm at this staff meeting for Flyer News, and we're talking about different upcoming stories. And uh, they were pretty flexible with me that year, but I think they, they probably took this with some uh, reluctant caution when I suggested I was going to do a story on the Washington Nationals promotions. That's I wonder why a college in the Midwest would be cautious about a freshman journalist or then sophomore journalist doing a story about a Major League Baseball team on the East Coast with a friend of his that was still in high school. I can't imagine where the red flags went up, Steve. Can't imagine. I, I think my saving grace was. Uh, I guess I was out of high school by then, but still. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, well, no, you were still, you were still a senior. And that was my that was that was my summer going into my freshman year. Right. The, right. 2015. But yeah. I was doing this. I was doing this article in the spring of my freshman year. Oh so. yes, the article you're talking about when you're more of a retrospective, looking back at what I did with the garden gnome. Yeah. Yes. Then previewing the Chia Pet. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, so that's the thing. The, my saving grace, I think, was um, actually our good friend, Keith Rad, was the sports editor at the time. Uh, Keith is now a broadcaster for the uh, Brooklyn Cyclones in um, minor league baseball. So um, he was a baseball fan, obviously, and kind of allowed me to have some reign over my content, uh, especially the major league baseball stuff, because he and I were the most knowledgeable baseball people on the staff. So I said, hey, this might be cool because the Nationals are kind of these trailblazers in the promotion game. This is kind of a new way to bring in fans to the stadium is doing the super unique promotions. And I know a guy who was integral in <laughs> the promotion of the Garden Gnome last year. And so he's like, yeah, that sounds good. So I call up Paul and interview him about the 2014 Garden Gnome story which I knew already. I just wanted to get quotes for the newspaper. But I used Paul's story to kind of frame what could be more craze about the Chia Pet upcoming in August of 2015. So I write the story, I, and I tried to make it more general. Like I used Paul's quotes, but I also made it general about you know this trend in Major League Baseball to follow after the Nationals Garden Gnome and try to get people in the gates with these interesting promotions. Um, the summer starts... And this article had been published in Flyer News probably in March or April. The summer starts, and I think, you know, if I'm going to go to this Chia Pet game, like, I want to write a follow-up about the actual Chia Pet to, like, talk about how it goes. And if I'm going to do that, I might as well do it from the press box. Because going to Nationals Park as a kid, I would always look up, you know, from the batting practice seats in the outfield and see the Shirley Povich Media Center named after that great Washington Post journalist from um, the 20th century. And I would think, I deserve to be up there. I, I know baseball. I write about baseball. Like, I can do this. So, <laughs> so I um, find online the media, I guess just like the media coordinator for the Nationals, that's his name. The one thing I learned as a freshman at Dayton was that you can get into events as a quote unquote journalist, as long as you talk to the right people, there's always a keeper of the keys for a sports team, especially somebody who filters the media and kind of allows access to certain people. 
Yeah, the so, PR director or whoever right. it may be. Right. Yeah, in college, may be. it would be your in college, yes. it would be your SID, and the pros, right. it would just be a PR director or somebody like that. Exactly. Yeah. So I was I dealt with a lot of SIDs in college, and I they're people too, and and they're generally pretty uh, pretty friendly and pretty welcoming as long as you have a legitimate reason to be there. So I email this guy Kyle professionally, and I say, Hey, I'm this uh, assistant sports editor for the Dayton Student Newspaper. And we've got this guy, Craig Stammen, on your team. Um, Stammen, at that time in 2015, was the only flyer on the Nationals. Blevins had moved on. Uh, I forget who we went with next, but Stammen was still on the team, so there's a connection. I said, I'm, I did the story about the promotions, and I, I would like to follow up and do a story about the Chia Pet once it comes out. Um, and this was probably in late May, early June, and I didn't hear anything back for that whole summer. Didn't really think much of it because I figured it was a long shot, you know, from the start. But then the week before, it was like July 30th, I was in the van. My mom was driving us down to Richmond. We were going to see the Richmond Flying Squirrels double-A game. It was like a church outing down there. And I'm checking my email, and I get an email back from Kyle. And it says, yeah, you're good to go. Just show up to the media gate. And, like, no more information than that. And I was like, wait, are you serious? Like, I'm going to do this. All I got to do is show up and I have a press pass. Like, okay, sounds good to me. So I think I texted you, Paul, right away because I was just so excited about it. And yeah, you did. I, I remember that. You texted me right away and I was like, well, I, all right, Steve, buckle up for the big time then, I guess. <laughs> I'm making it big. Yeah. So uh, the next week comes and you and I and your parents all drive out to Nationals Park. You had uh, and your family had tickets to the game. In fact, yeah, I, I think just, I was just going to be, you know, a regular citizen in the stands. No big deal. Just whatever. A plebeian. Although, let me tell you, at Nationals Park, the almost every seat is actually a better seat than the press box. The press box is way up there at Nats Park. Most oh, yeah. stadiums, You're up most in the clouds. Stadiums, yeah, most stadiums have it in like the what's essentially the club level at Nats Park, like the 200 mezzanine level. But uh, I guess the Nats wanted to sell more of those high-priced seats, so they just put it up in the nosebleeds with uh, the riffraff up there. So Paul gets to sit down even lower than me with his family. But, um, yeah, y'all dropped me off. I think it was probably around 4.30 or 5, like towards the start of batting practice. And um, I head to the media gate. It was pretty easy. I just showed my ID, and they gave me a a badge, and it said, uh, like, media. It said Steve Miller, Dayton Flyer News or something like that. And then there were four boxes on the bottom of the badge. And the boxes were labeled Field, Press Box, Clubhouse, and All Access. And I had a sticker in the box under the word Press Box. So immediately when I see this, I assume these are levels of access and I am allowed no more access than the field during batting practice and the Press Box during the game. It would have served you well to have listened to that. Well, so not necessarily, Paul. <laughs> I see this, and I, I make assumptions. I was given no briefing. I mean, there were no explicit directions. I signed- hey, look, you and I are on the to- you and I are totally on the same page with where this story is going to go. Don't you worry here. We're oh, yeah. we're a co- oh. cohesive unit here. Oh, I know. <laughs> we we bear a unified front on where this story is going to end up. <laughs> So I, I make this assumption. This is in the back of my head. But I, like I said, I signed nothing. I was 
explicit instructions. Kyle's email to me originally was just as, as simple as I, you know, reiterated it to you guys. And, you know, at that point I walk into the stadium and I stand on the elevator all the way up to the press box. And I'm up in the press box and there's a bunch of uh, like placards on the, the desks um, pretty much right in the center for different like Washington Post people and other media that are regularly at Nationals Park. This is a midweek game in August against the Diamondbacks. It was not a well-attended or going to be a well-attended game in general, and it was not going to be a highly covered game. So there are lots of empty seats in the press box. So I go ahead and um, go just over to the right side, and there's a bunch of seats without placards. And I go ahead and set my stuff down and kind of make my home there. Steve, it, I'm telling you, I don't know if you realize this, but it would have, that's exactly like when you're going into a college class and you go in on the last day of the last class and for some reason somebody new comes in or somebody else takes your seat and everybody looks over and gives you the side eye. You have no idea whose seat you took that day. That was a bold move coming in as the college kid and taking a prime seating from somebody else that may have been there all year. You're right. You're right. And, and you know what, if I, if I were a bolder person, maybe I would have played up the ignorance a little bit more. I just like accidentally stumbled into the Masson booth and taking a seat there. Like <laughs> I got the badge guys. Where do you want me to sit? <laughs> Not here. Okay. <laughs> but no, uh, as, as, as far as I know, I didn't take Tom Boswell's seat or anything. And, and honestly, where I sat, there weren't even many people around me uh, during the game, but, I plot my stuff down. Meanwhile, batting practice is going on on the field. I've got a story to cover, right? So I uh, – You're there for a reason. <laughs> I'm there for a reason. i got work to do, Paul. <laughs> so I slid back down the elevator. I mean, this may be the loosest definition of the word work we've ever used. Dude, the, the kind of journalism that I did in college is the greatest work I've ever done slash <laughs> the opposite of actual work because I never felt like I was working. That's how I know it's the best job I've ever had. So you end up down on the, well, no, before you end up down on the field, you rode the elevator with uh, one of your idols, right? And you almost, uh, you almost stumbled into a story about ESPN. Who was that and what happened? uh, That's one way to put it, idol. But um, at the time, and I think still the, the Fox Sports broadcaster for the Diamondbacks is Steve Berthume, who previously was a sports center anchor and we had, or I had tweeted him, I think earlier that week, just to see if he would be able to chat for the podcast. Never heard back. No surprise there. But now I've got a press pass. I'm riding the elevator and who walks on, but Steve Berthume because the Diamondbacks are in town. And when he walked on, I kind of like didn't really say anything at first. And then the elevator doors closed and it's like, literally, this is an elevator pitch. I've got 30 seconds to talk to a guy who I grew up watching on SportsCenter. And so I kind of like looked up and was like, hey, are you Steve Bethune? As though I didn't know 100% sure already that he was. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And the guy next to him, who was like one of his crewmates, said something sly like, oh, no, he's Levy. And I'm like, okay, dude, I don't need that sarcasm right now. Just an 18-year-old trying to talk to a guy I used to watch on TV. So I try to make small talk with him like I do. I'm not very good at that, as you know. That was one of the hardest parts for me of becoming a sports journalist was trying to figure out how to talk to people when I didn't really know who these people were, uh, especially college athletes, because how much do you really know about a random soccer player before you interview them? 
Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we, we were chatting a little bit. I, I made some comment or remark about him leaving ESPN and kind of asked him why or how that went. And he made some like even more like backhanded remark about the culture at ESPN. So I decided not to pry any further about how he left. I think he also made fun of Colin Cowherd um, in whatever he said, but I, I wish I remember exactly what he said because it was, it was funny, especially because I watch Colin Cowherd pretty frequently. Um, so anyway, he's got a, he essentially said his job with the Diamondbacks is a much better job than whatever he had at ESPN. Um, but nevertheless, cool guy, someone I, you know, he's got a good voice. I enjoyed watching him on SportsCenter. It was fun to meet him. And that's one of those things, and you alluded to it last episode, Paul, about kind of overcoming the, uh, the shock factor of meeting your idols, quote unquote. Um, you've got to kind of act the part in this industry, especially if you're new in it. And uh, even after just a year of being a minor league, if, even if you can call it that, uh, journalist, sports journalist, I kind of had to play off meeting Steve Rathum as though like, I've talked to big people before, oh, yeah. uh, even though I really hadn't, but yeah, it was still cool. So heading back down to the field, um, watching batting practice. I had never watched batting practice from the field before. So that in itself was pretty cool. Um, but like I said, I had a job to do and the nationals. And I think a lot of teams do this allow season ticket holders and other kind of like high rolling fans on the field for batting practice experiences so I'm down there and I see a group of fans who have Geopets. And I'm like, hey, I'm doing a story about, you know, the Geopet promotion. Can I talk to you guys about getting the Geopet and, you know, what you think of it as a, you know, baseball giveaway item? You know, what you might think about Jason Worth. They were, well, I'll say this. They were not at the game because of the Geopets. I might have been, maybe you, we might have been the only ones at that game because of the Geopets. It was not a sold-out game like the Garden Gnomes were the previous year. Yeah. Um, so not only did these people not really care about the Geopets, they cared even less about being interviewed for an article for a college newspaper about Geopets that they already didn't really care about. So they, uh, they kind of picked as a sacrificial lamb the one guy in their group who was kind of more outgoing and bubbly, and I talked to him for a few minutes. He was really nice, actually, about uh, the Chia Pet. And I got his phone number, and a couple of days later, he actually texted me pictures because he had grown the Chia Pet, and it turned out pretty well. Um, so I was able to get these quotes for my story, which was good. I was doing my job. I was doing exactly what I had told Kyle I had come to do because – I wanted to yeah, make sure that I wasn't just freeloading a ride in the press box. You weren't? So I'm down there watching batting practice, and you know people start milling out of the Nationals dugout, and out pops F.P. Santangelo, the very bubbly color commentator for Masson. And he's kind of talking to the fans and stuff, and I kind of move my way over there. I'm like, F.P., how's it going? And I shook his hand, and I said, hey, can you give a couple quotes about uh, this uh, Chia Pet situation. And he was like, kind of taken aback, you know, a little bit off guard. And it was like, I, I guess, I mean, I don't know what you want me to say. So I kind of try to make like a pointed question and, you know, get him to say something about the Chia Pet. What I didn't realize or really think about was that he, in his job up in the booth, maybe he plugs the Chia Pet or some other promotions, you know, once a game or once every couple of games. But that is not near the first thing on his mind when he's at the ballpark that day. The Nats are in the middle of a, a division race. 
he does not care about a Chia pet. Uh, you know, he might mention it once in that game, but he's no. certainly not to start talking about it. That's one quick point that I made um, one time to you that when you're working in baseball like that, and the one thing I learned in my season um, in independent leagues is that a lot of times, especially in, in like the lower leagues, though, you do promotions to get fans into the stadiums. And when you're working in it, it's like I was, if I wasn't doing the game notes on that day, because of the way we rotated um, through doing the game notes, if I wasn't doing the game notes and I wasn't writing down what the promotion was, I probably didn't know what that promotion was that day. And if I showed up to the press box, you know, if I walked out of the office, took the elevator up to the press box and breathed my fresh air of the stadium for the first time and looked down and saw that it was crowded and well, I'm thinking, well, why is it crowded? And then it's, oh, well, it's dollar beer night or, oh, it's such and such giveaway or, oh, it's so-and-so here from the Reds is here for an appearance or whatever. It's like, oh, I, okay. But when you're working in it, it's a different scene than a fan coming in to maybe get the Chia Pet or whatever it may be. But anyway, right, go ahead. Exactly. Yeah, so I, I get the quote from FP. I think it was probably about a 40-second voice memo on my phone like not a long interview he had to shake hands and kiss babies and do the you know stuff that fp figure that he is but uh, a little while later dave jackler walks out of the dugout and i kind (laughs) of approached dave with the same question and i ended up getting a quote from him he was much more friendly and willing he actually he recognized me from the previous year uh paul when you and i interviewed him for a top step episode so that's also coming out in the near future be on the lookout for our interview with dave He's a great guy. Still the uh, 106.7 The Fan radio broadcaster alongside Charlie Slows. So I get these quotes from FP and Dave Jagler, and I got this fan quote. and like, man, I'm doing a really good job at my job. <laughs> and uh, there's, it wasn't a sellout, but it was still a well-attended game. I, I want to say it was, the attendance was somewhere between 35 and 37,000 or so. Um, so, I, I mean, at first pitch, it was, it was still a, a well-attended Nationals game for a midweek August uh, matchup. So then you make it up to the box, and it's kind of a blowout of a game. But yes, the, I, I but mean, the real story was what happened after the game. <laughs> okay, you're right. Don't get ahead of me, Paul. <laughs> but yeah, so I make it back up to the box, and and like I said, it, the whole day was was a great experience. I didn't really care the Nationals were getting blown out in the grand scheme of things. 2015 was kind of the or August of 2015 was kind of the beginning of the end of that year for the Nets. Matt Williams was in his second year. Had lost in the NLDS the previous year. The Nats weren't, uh, you know, running away with the division. They started to slide in the summer. They were fighting with the Mets and then just ended up falling completely out of it. This game against the Diamondbacks was a uh, kind of a blowout. I think the Diamondbacks scored 11 runs on them. So the game ends. I just figured I'd be on my way out of the stadium anyway, so I packed my bag and, and walked downstairs. And I figured I might as well just follow these journalists as long as I could just I was living the day in the life of an MLB journalist and I knew they were going down to the media room to interview Matt Williams and get the post game uh, quotes and stuff. And I figured I just kind of follow along because I had a a press pass. And in my mind, I remembered those little boxes that I saw at the beginning of the game that said field and clubhouse and whatever. And I knew I probably wasn't going to be allowed in the clubhouse, but you know, nevertheless, I head down uh, on the elevator with the other journalists, and I notice none of them have their bags. All they have is, like, their notebooks and their voice recorder. So I'm like, what's going on? We head down and go into the Nats, uh, like, the media room, the, the manager's um, press conference room, which is right next to the Nats 
um, like the President's Club, the, the high roller seating down there on the field level. So we go in there and put our voice recorders on the table. That's a thing that if you're getting into journalism, you'll know is when the, the guy who's being interviewed walks in the room, you get up, you turn on your voice recorder and you put it on the table in front of them and then you go and sit down and ask your questions and write your quotes and whatever. So I just follow along. I put my phone. I didn't have a voice recorder at the time. And some people use their phones anyway. I just put my phone you on. You threw your phone. phone up there? Yeah, I threw my phone up there. And, I and other, people, other people. I wish I would have called you. Yeah, I, I know. And I, I don't remember knowing me, I had my buzzer on and like you, you could have like totally called me and I would have just been that guy <laughs> during the, the Nats presser afterwards to have their phone go off and have Matt Williams chuck it, you know, across the room. That would have been hilarious, but you didn't luckily. So I put my phone up there, go sit back down. And in hindsight, I really wish I would have asked a question because I had nothing to lose. Um, I really wish I would have asked something intelligent along the lines of, hey, uh, midweek game, you know, the Chia Pet got people in the door. You know, how does it affect the team when, uh, you know, you've got a raucous crowd at the beginning and, you know, they just kind of leave in the middle because <laughs> you're getting blown out. Like, does that affect morale or anything like that? I wish I would have asked something along those lines. I didn't think of it in the moment, nor would, have, uh, would I have had probably the guts to ask that. But nevertheless, this pressure goes on for five, six minutes, whatever it is, pretty, pretty brief. Matt Williams talks about how the Patriots got shelled, essentially. And um, then, you know, he leaves. All the journalists stand up, grab their recording devices, and head down the hallway. And just, you know, being around journalists, I know they're heading now from the manager's press room to the clubhouse because they have media gaggles around different players in the clubhouse, and they ask them questions. And I'm like, hey – I'm here. Might as well follow him. No one's told me I can't be in the clubhouse. I just assume I probably am not allowed in the clubhouse based on this sticker. I follow the journalist down the hallway and we get to the clubhouse and all there is is double doors to the clubhouse. And then there's one guy outside, like wearing one of those yellow security uh, outfits. And he's got a clipboard with um, the paper and he's writing some things down. Some people walk in like the, the seasoned, uh, or the season press pass holders just can walk in because they show their press pass. The people who don't have season passes were telling this guy their name and their affiliation. He was writing it down and letting them in. And I'm like the last one. And this guy in front of me tells, tells him his name and affiliation just walks in. I'm like, all right. And so I kind of show him my badge. I was like, Steve Miller, Flyer News. And the guy's like, Steve Miller, Flyer News, and writes it down. And doesn't say anything, so I walk in. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm walking in behind all these journalists into the Nats Clubhouse. And then only then it hit me was like, what am I doing here? Like, what am I going to do? I'm in, <laughs> but now what? Like, what am I – I'm writing it, a story about a Chia you, Pet. What, what am I doing that, here? You're telling me that the first time it clicked to you that maybe you shouldn't be where you are is after you made the poor guy who didn't – maybe do his job as well as he should and writes down Steve Miller flyer news could probably get chewed out later. It didn't click to you until that moment when he walked in and the bright lights were on you and everybody was standing around that, Hey, maybe I should have a plan of attack when I walk in. here. <laughs> kind of. I mean, I didn't know I was going to potentially get somebody in trouble. I just thought I was going to follow these people as long as I was allowed to. I didn't think there was going to be a sacrificial you know, person. Oh my God. I love this. I just laugh every time I hear this story. <laughs> so, all right. I am, 
<laughs> so now you're in the clubhouse. It's go time. The red light is on. Exactly. So I think, all right, what, why am I here? Like, what, what, what could I possibly do to make this not obviously a spot I'm not supposed to be in? And then it hits me. I'm like, all right, Craig Stammen, Dayton Flyer, pitcher for the Nationals. I'll talk to him. I'm sure he'd talk to me if I told him I was a Dayton reporter and I'd talk to him about his career and stuff. Um, but Stammen, unfortunately, at that point in the season was injured and had been for a little bit. He was rehabbing and starting to come back, but he wasn't pitching in games. So who knows if he was actually going to be there. And so I walk into the clubhouse and then, you know, I turn, turn the corner by like the manager's office and boom, it opens up. And it's just like, you know, the stuff that you see on TV, it's just, huge oval room got big nationals branded carpet these giant lockers with everything you know people's jerseys everything like neatly folded and whatnot and it just like took a half a second just to kind of take it in like oh my gosh i'm here this is it and all these major league players are just milling around so i'm like all right find stamen and get out like i i already made it i've i've done what i came to do (laughs) find stamen and then get out of here Luckily for me, Stammen's locker was the first one on the left. So I walk in, I start scanning jerseys, and boom, right there, 35, Stammen. I'm like, this is it. But everything was, like, neatly folded. The jersey was put up. You know, there there was no sign of anyone actually being there. So Stammen, I assume, has gone home early. Well, the locker next to Craig Stammen's was Drew Storen, who at that time was the closer for the Nationals. And Storen was there, and he was already in his, like, civvies, and he was just kind of putting stuff together on his locker. And I didn't want to make it obvious that I had just, like, walked in and realized I shouldn't be there (laughs) and walked right out because I feel like I would draw some attention to myself. So I decided, in my infinite wisdom, to go ahead and try to play off the fact that the person I'm looking for is not here. So naturally, the person I ask about Stammen is Drew Storen because he's standing right there and Stammen's like his locker buddy. So obviously he would know. So I'm like, hey, Drew, um, did, uh, did Craig go home already? Like, is he here anymore? And, and, and Drew's like, oh, yeah, he left. And, and so I said in response, I was like, oh, but, you know, is he going to be back later this week? As though I would be back later that week and would be able to interview him. <laughs> And so, so Drew goes, yeah, yeah, like he, he comes in every day. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I just try to play that off. And so I do a 180 or start doing a 180 when a very tall, rather muscular man in a red polo shirt walks towards me and he kind of like points at me and he's like, hey, who are you? <laughs> and so me just trying to be cool, I like reach out my hand to shake his hand. I'm like, hey, I'm Steve. And I, at that point, I, I read his press pass, and it's Kyle. It's the guy that sent me the email approving me to be at Nationals Park. The guy who undoubtedly made the badge that gives me access to the field and the press box, but not to the clubhouse. And there I was very much in the clubhouse. <laughs> so luckily, he didn't grab me by the neck. He just he shook my hand, and he goes, very sternly and without much of a, well, without any greeting at all. He's like, you're not supposed to be in here. And I'm like, uh, I'm not. <laughs> and he was like, uh, follow me. <laughs> and he, not that he made a huge deal out of it, 
but he was essentially very quick about turning me around and getting me out of there. So before I, I know anything, before Drew Storen even knew what hit him, I've been spun around by Kyle. Did Drew uh, notice any of this going on? Like, were you that close to him that he would have seen this? Or Yeah, I mean, if, if he had still been looking at me after I said the last thing I said to him, he would have seen Kyle come up to me. It was that quick and it was that close, yes. It was, it. Uh, it was right there. So Kyle spins me around and I'm walking out of there. Um, we get out to the double doors and he kind of confronts the security guy out there and he like grabs my badge off my neck and he's like, Hey, look at this. This is important. He's like, you see these boxes here? Like he's not allowed to be in here. You can't let this, you know, people with this badge in. And the guy was like, Oh, okay. Like, I'm sorry about that. And Kyle didn't say anything else to me and I didn't want anything else to happen. So I just hightailed it out of there. I took a right and like sped walk down the hall. And it's, it's this big open concourse in the bottom of Knights Park. And I'm just like speed walking down to the elevators. And I don't know if I've told you this part of the story, but I get to the elevators and I, <laughs> I press the button and, and I might've even already been down there, but I, I walk in the elevator and we start going up because this is more like below street level. I need to get up to street level and get around the stadium because I'm meeting up with you and your parents because you're driving me back to Virginia. And I get on the elevator, and it's me and Jose Lobatone. He's he's the other guy in the elevator. And oh, I, I didn't know that. I immediately recognized him. But he's, like, wearing a ball cap and, like, his street clothes. And, um, and we're riding up. And uh, I didn't say anything because, like, I – I was like super shook from what just happened that <laughs> I didn't want to make any situation any worse than it was, but it's just me and Jose like riding the elevator up. <laughs> we get to street level. It's, it's a pretty quick exit. Like once, once you get off the elevator and it's the same elevator that people would use to get to the club level or whatever. So I, I get off the elevator and just go through like some glass double doors. And all of a sudden I'm on South Capitol street. Like I walk down the steps, I'm on South Capitol street probably 45 seconds after I was in the Nats clubhouse. Like it's that quick. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, what just happened? And so it was almost surreal. I I'd take a right and I start like speed walking up South Capitol street and the, it's, it's night and the Capitol dome is just like glowing in the background. <laughs> and I'm like, what is my life right now? <laughs> well, I remember, I remember all this going on because generally speaking, it happened pretty quick. Like the whole interaction happened really fast because I remember that you were like, I texted you when I had left the stadium and said, Hey, we're outside the stadium. No rush. Take your time, do your job, do whatever you need to do. And we'll be out here waiting for you. And you were like, okay, I'm about to leave the press box. And then just a few minutes later, you show up around the corner with this huge story. And I was like, all that just happened in a matter of like seven minutes. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I said something to you, like, start the car now. Like, we got to go <laughs> or something along those lines because I was, like, not that concerned, but I'm, like, I need to get out of here. I can't let this go on any further. So, um, yeah, I, I speed walk around the corner, and then you guys pick me up, and next thing I know, we're, you know, crossing the bridge going back into Virginia. But there was I, some redemption later. There, there was. Okay, but first, I go home, and I, of course, I tell the story to my family. The next day, though, or I guess two days later, you and I were back at Nationals Park for the Rockies and the Nationals. 
and this was, again, the first week of August 2015. The Nats were still in the playoff race, but kind of hanging on by a thread. They were beating the Rockies on this, I think it was a Friday night, and uh, Drew Storen comes in the game and blows a save. And that was, you know, the end, essentially, of Drew Storen. He had been, up to that point in the season, a really sharp closer for the Nats, but after that point, he started tanking. So naturally, my dad blames me for my interaction with Drew Storen, that maybe he was offended that I wanted to talk to Stam instead of him and got his confidence hurt or something like that. And because of me, Drew Storen was no longer an effective closer, and I somehow ended his career. It is pretty funny, though, that if you look at the timeline of Drew Storen's career, that season was – I think he had a sub-1 ERA that season with, he was very good that with the Nats. And if you look at the timeline of what happened and when you talk to him, promptly after you talk to him, Steve, like his career was over. He never <laughs> regained – what he had the day before you talked to him as soon as that day ended and like through the rest of his career he had a huge era never got his footing back with the nats i think he ended up in like toronto or something and toronto uh, cincinnati kansas city yeah he was all over the place and he never got it back on track and it was all due to the fact that you didn't want to talk to him and didn't care about him as a person yeah, pretty pretty much completely my fault. Yeah, his I'm looking now. His his ERA in 2014 was 112. His final ERA in 2015 was 344. And uh, I kind of feel like I should get the game logs up here just to show you. But yeah, believe us, he had a really good year in 2015 up until August. That Friday, he blew the save against the Rockies. Was never the same again. My dad blamed me for his downfall and therefore the downfall of the Nats. Then in 2015. Then they lost in the playoffs in 2016, lost in the playoffs again in 2017, but that's a whole other thing. So, redemption, you know, there's always a second chance, right? Stammen uh, never actually comes back with the Nationals. Um, I think he was was done for the year uh, with his injury. He tried to break in with the Cleveland Indians the following year. He signed a minor league deal, but the Indians, if you remember in 2016, went to the World Series. They had a stellar pitching staff. And there just wasn't room for him on the major league roster, essentially. So in 2017, he signed with the San Diego Padres. At this point, I am a junior going on senior at UD. And I had been the sports editor my junior year. I was going to be the sports editor again my senior year. And um, the Padres are visiting Nationals Park in May of 2017. And I think this is my chance. Uh, You know, Craig Stammen, comeback story. I'll cover him when he's at Nationals Park for the first time as a visitor. And so I emailed Kyle again. I emailed Kyle, and I pretty much just made the pitch like, hey, I'm the sports editor at Dayton. Uh, Craig Stammen's coming back to Nats Park. Uh, you know, am I able to interview him and cover him? I explicitly said in the email, can I interview him, just to make sure I would have at least that access, if not clubhouse access. And um, I get an email back, very similar situation to the year before or the two years before that pretty much just said like, yeah, you're good to go. Something like that. And so I go to Nationals Park on May 26th, 2017 and uh, get my press pass. And I forget it, it, it was a different pass that year. And I forget exactly what was on it. There wasn't anything as explicit as the two years before. But importantly, nothing that said I had any sort of limited access. So I thought, hey, this is, this is it. We're, we're rocking and rolling. Worked once, it'll work again. Exactly. 
Um, luckily, I got to the park super early that time, and there's clubhouse access before the game and after the game. So I made sure to actually get to the Padres clubhouse before the game, before batting practice, and I talked to him in the dugout. What was funny is that Stamen was kind of the star of the show because walking into the Padres clubhouse, Padres haven't been good in several years, but Craig Stamen is far from the face of the franchise. I mean, he's just kind of a long reliever, middle reliever type. Um, but walking in there, because it was his first game back in D.C., D.C. journalists were there, and they were talking to him and just kind of like saying hi and shooting the breeze with him. And there were other journalists who were kind of asking similar questions that that I was asking. Uh, but like Mark McGuire was the um, – or might still be the hitting coach for the Padres. So he was in there just kind of milling around. And the visiting clubhouse at Nats Park is significantly smaller than – uh, the home clubhouse. So, I mean, you're, you're just kind of brushing shoulders with all, the, all these baseball players, including Mark McGuire. Uh, so that was kind of cool just to, you know, be in the same space as him. But I got to talk to Stam and we had a pretty good interview and, and we'll air that here in a few minutes. Um, but he's a great guy and uh, small town, Ohio local does still does stuff for the community up there um, in uh, Western Ohio. So it was a really good time talking to him and I'm glad I got the opportunity. Um, and the, the game itself was, was fine. I mean, the Nats won that game. Bryce Harper hit like a 470 foot home run. That was pretty cool. Uh, and then after the game, I didn't have again, explicit instructions to not go anywhere. So I did the same thing as the two years before I went down to the manager's press conference. That was fine. Uh, and then I went and followed the rest of the journalists into the clubhouse and there was no one stopping me. In fact, Kyle, even when we were walking up there, uh, kind of like came up to me because he didn't recognize me or at least knew that I was not normally there. Um, and just kind of made pleasantries or whatever. And, uh, we, uh, we walked in the clubhouse and I just kind of joined the media gaggle for these guys. He essentially told me like, Hey, just kind of, go along with everyone else. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> um, and we, uh, I guess we interviewed, like I say, we, the other people interviewed, I stood by while they <laughs> interviewed Bryce Harper and uh, Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. Scherzer pitched that night. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of a, another cool thing to actually like finally get to shadow these journalists <laughs> and see what they do in real life. Scherzer was a great interview. Harper, not so much. He was, uh, he was pretty quiet actually, which was, I thought was kind of funny. And what I didn't realize about Harper, he's very muscular, but he's not like actually any taller than I am. Uh, so he he's not a super imposing guy, just you know face to face with him. You know, he- it, it it's funny you say that because um, I and we can maybe talk about this more in another episode. But uh, two or three times I've had a chance to be the ball boy for the Reds, mm-hmm. and one of the times I was the ball boy, they were playing the Phillies. That was this past year, and. So I was, and I was assigned to the Phillies side of the field. So constantly through the whole game, I'm running through the Phillies dugout to, you know, get balls or get whatever the players need, bring the bullpen jackets and all that stuff. And so walking past Harper and all those guys, like, yeah, they're a lot bigger than you and a lot more muscular than you, but they're not really all that intimidating as far as height goes. It's not like standing next to basketball players or whatever where yeah they're a lot bigger than you body type and they're also a lot taller than you too right exactly yeah so um yeah it was it was cool to be down there in the clubhouse legally that time so I, i was there for significantly longer than i was the two years before 
But I think the cherry on top of the whole thing uh, was, and if you know me personally, I've probably told you the story. That spring, I had written a somewhat controversial article about the Dayton volleyball team. At the time, um, one of the coaches for the Dayton volleyball team was Craig Stammen's fiance. And they, in fact, got married, I think, in January of 2017 or December of 2017. She ended up leaving the team shortly after that. Um, but I know she had been on the, or I knew she had been on the team when this controversial article came out. And so after I shut off the recorder with Sam in, in my interview, I just, I had to, because I, I couldn't not make a comment of it. I was like, by the way, you, you might've actually heard about me before, because I wrote this article about the volleyball team and then like your wife worked with them. Like, I don't know if she said anything about it. And he kind of like stared off into space for a second. And he looks back and he goes, that was you? He's like, man, Audrey was pissed. <laughs> that might have been the best part just because for me it was fulfilling. Like my work had reached the ears of a major league baseball player, even if it was something completely unrelated. And it was only through his wife who happened to be a Dayton volleyball coach. <laughs> but but I, I made uh, – yeah, so he, he said that about his wife. And then <laughs> I um, I forget exactly what I said, but he ended up kind of like agreeing with me. He was like, yeah, you were just like doing your job, you know, writing their quotes and stuff. Like I don't fault you or anything. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, man, that made waves with the volleyball team. So, yeah, that was uh, – <laughs> it was a good note to end on that uh, I kind of felt fulfilled a little bit and Stamen didn't hate me after that. But, uh, yeah, we had a good interview and we're able to, to laugh about the volleyball situation a little bit. So if you want to listen to that interview with uh, Steve and Craig Stammen from a couple of years ago, almost, geez, three years ago now, um, then you can listen to it and we're going to put it in right now. Coming back to D.C. the first time since uh, you were a national, does it feel like home to you? It does a little bit. Um, you know, I've, it's fun recognizing everything in the city and knowing where to go and uh, it brings back a lot of memories for when I played here for all those years. So excited to be back and uh, fun to be out there competing against the guys I used to play with. I watched your video with the Knights of Columbus. You talked about how your faith inspired you, you know, on the long road back. It's been, what, two years since you were pitching uh, consistently, you know, in the big league. So what was that like for you just mentally getting back to this point? Uh, it was tough at times, but, you know, also, you know, exciting in another way. You know, it was a, a test of my perseverance. And it made me a stronger man, a stronger brain, you know, a little bit more wisdom along the way. So um, kind of excited to see what the end of my career will have in store with those lessons learned over the last couple of years. But uh, definitely wouldn't trade it for anything. A bit of a rocky start this year, but do you feel like you're getting back in a groove? Yeah, I think uh, I was a fish out of water there for a little bit. I couldn't remember how to get guys out, but uh, lately I've started to pitch a little bit better and I feel a little bit more comfortable. I feel a lot more like my old self. How about San Diego? Was that a good change of pace for you to all the way across the country? Yeah, it's a little bit different. It's a little different area than Dayton, Ohio. Um, but it's it's hard waking up every day and feeling like you're on vacation and still having to play baseball. <laughs> you know. But uh, it's a great place, great city, great town. We've got a great team and uh, hopefully excited to turn this thing around a little bit. And then last year with the Indians, were you, did you feel excited to be back home in Ohio for that? Or were you hoping to stay with them for longer? Um, you know, it was one of those situations they were willing to let me come back from my injury and I felt like their medical staff was a good place for me to be at that time and you know I didn't quite get healthy enough to where I could help that big league team out and they were really good at the time so um, 
it was a fun. It was a great season with the Indians last year. Yeah, I would love to play for them for more years. But uh, you know, San Diego is where I'm at now. I'm excited about it. Uh, and then getting married this offseason in Dayton, and your wife is uh, working there. So is that where you think you want to end up eventually? Yeah, yeah. We're actually building a house back where I grew up. So uh, making her an Ohioan and a, and a Dayton Flyer for life, I guess. So luckily that she was coaching there uh, when I was looking for a wife, and you know, happy things worked out, and happily ever after. Uh, and then your honeymoon, you kind of went viral there with the, the hole-in-one video. <laughs> was, yeah. was that a new experience for you? It was a new experience. Uh, I kind of knew what would happen if that video got out to people, and I don't think she knew. I think about after two weeks, she's like, I'm tired of everybody watching this video. <laughs> but uh, it was really exciting. It was a cool way to end our honeymoon and a cool way to kick off our marriage and get ready for the baseball season. So a lot of smiles, a lot of laughter, a lot of good memories, you know, something we still talk about today. Right. And then when you get out here today, is there any chance you're going to run to the wrong bullpen? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day, that if I was pitching and I would walk to the wrong dugout. But uh, I think it's been long enough. I'll be all right. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. You got it. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed listening to that episode of The Top Step. Steve and I will be back with you next week. Uh, We're going to try and do this where we release an episode every Friday, and especially if a baseball season realizes itself here in the next month or two, then hopefully we keep this consistent content coming out to you. Um, But we do have a bunch of interviews that we've stored up over the years that are really time-sensitive. It's stuff that baseball fans can enjoy uh, conversations that we have recorded that I think y'all will really like. And the first one that we're going to air, um, we, you just heard Craig Stammen, um, but the first one that we're going to air next week is with Nationals broadcaster Dave Jagler. Uh, we interviewed him when I was a junior in high school. Steve had just graduated as a senior um, and or just going to graduate as a senior and so we'll air that next week but for now thank you so much again you can read any of steve's blogs i have written a little bit on there but not nearly as much as steve has and steve's content especially with the uh stadium reviews and everything like that and much more uh all that's available on our website topsteptalk.com again you can follow steve on twitter at smiller underscore 96 you can follow me just at paul fritchner just my name all one word and um you can also make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review thanks for listening everybody see you next week